Hello and welcome to the Climate Conversation. I'm Dan Brissett, Executive Director of the Environmental and Energy Study Institute. And today I'm joined by my intrepid co-host, Sydney O'Shaughnessy. Hi, Sid. Hi, Dan. I am so excited, like I am every single week, because last, week, last week's episode on community resilience was awesome. And I'm so looking forward to talking to today's guest. Um, I think we're going to learn a lot from him. And you know, he is one of EESI's board members. So that's very exciting. Um, but do you want to do the honors of introducing him? I would be glad to. Um, today's guest is Jeffrey Talley. Jeff is an American businessman, environmental engineer, and retired Lieutenant General in the Army and 32nd Chief of the U.S. Army Reserve. So an incredible distinguished career, tons of experience, really interesting perspective and insight. And I'm so eager to talk with him today, along with Sid, about the military's perspective toward climate change, how that's changed over time, and how the business sector is making strides towards a decarbonized future. Jeff, welcome to the show today. Well, thanks, Dan, and thanks, uh, Sydney, for having me on today's podcast. I'm looking forward to our discussion. We are, too. So we have a couple of questions prepared for you. So I'm just going to jump right in with the first one. Um, you've had a long career in the U.S. Army, rising to the rank of lieutenant general and commanding the U.S. Army Reserve. Over the course of your service, do you recall how opinions about climate change evolved? And how does our military leadership today think about climate change? Well, it's a great question. And the short answer is the Department of Defense has for a very long time recognized that global changes in the environment, such as climate change, impact Department of Defense operations and installations. In fact, the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Installations and Environment is the department's climate change adaptation planning officer and that office is responsible for overseeing the implementation of the department's climate change efforts. Uh, to a system, uh, that Deputy Undersecretary of Defense, the department established a Senior Sustainability Council, the SSC, way back in 2010. And that really comprises different departments, senior leaders, military departments, components, and they have the charge with developing strategy, recommending policy, ensuring the coordination of sustainability initiatives across the Defense Department. And going way back into 20, FY 2014, they actually published a climate change adaptation roadmap. And this will give you some insight. They had three goals at that point. One was, let's identify and assess the effects of climate change on the Department of Defense. Second goal was, let's integrate climate change considerations across the department and try to manage the, the associated risks from it. And the third was, Let's collaborate both internally and externally with our stakeholders on these uh, climate change challenges. And then shortly thereafter in 2016, in alignment with the National Defense Strategy, Department of Defense Directive 4715.21 was issued and that's the climate change adaptation and resilience. And then a few years later, the department issued its Arctic strategy, which was released in 2019. When you look at these directives, the DOD is trying to understand, prepare, and respond to global environmental changes. And um, so you can see they've been at this for a while. Now, granted, it's, it's a little more forefront than it has been in the past, but it's always been of importance to the Department of Defense. Jeff, a little bit more than a year ago, 
you uh, were talking with me and other members of our nominations committee about your interest in joining ESI's board of directors. Um, you have a long and distinguished career in public service and you've decided to make membership on ESI's board of directors part of your sort of commitment to civic service. And I'm curious, um, what was it about ESI that made you wanna join us? And um, what are your goals for your service on our board of directors? Well, Dan, you're right. I, I was interested in, in helping EESI uh, and for a couple of reasons. One is the Department of Defense, the public sector can't address the importance of the important topics of energy and the environment alone. It's going to take the public, private, which includes not-for-profit, and I would argue the academic sector. And so one of the things that I was looking at is what organization has the influence and the ability in a nonpartisan way to bring together interested parties, again, from the public, private, and academic sector. And I believe EESI is the best organization to do that. And they certainly have a great track record. So that was the main motivation because my whole career, both um, as a recovering academic, as an academic, as a business person, and certainly as a senior leader in government, has always been focused on energy and the environment. And I just see EESI as a key organization that really can help bring together the various interested parties to help address the challenges. As far as my personal goals, you know, I'm still trying to sort all that out as I'm, I'm still new as a board member, but certainly, helping EESI look at how we can better educate and inform others on where we can have impact. Uh, so it's not just about being the first place that government leaders go to, to try to get a better understanding of energy and environmental issues to include climate change. It's also how do we get that in, in the viewpoint of the business world? So I, I'd like to try to help in those sorts of ways, but I'm still trying to be more specific and with myself on how I can help the organization better. Well, Jeff, I think you've already actually made a pretty important impact. I know we think a lot about sort of the role of public-private partnerships, and we've incorporated in our briefings just this year um, speakers who talk about how um, the public sector and private sector can work together um, to solve some of these challenges. Um, including just a few weeks ago at our Clean Energy Expo um, that we held um, virtually. Um, so I think you're off to a great start and we're really, really happy to have you. Well, I'll yeah, continue to do my best. <laughs> so thanks, Dan. Go ahead, Sydney. Thanks. And speaking of the public-private partnerships, that actually is very aligned to what our next question is. Um, military bases, uh, especially those along coasts, are impacted by climate change every year. And in response, for many years, the armed services have been innovators in resilience, especially where those public-private partnerships are concerned. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how much a priority resilience is for these military installations? I'm sure I'd be happy to, to try it. I don't want to give the impression to the listeners that I'm some sort of expert on military installations, but I, I know a little bit. I, I guess I would start by saying resilience of service members and their families has long been a key concern in the armed forces. 
And that resilience extends to the military installations of which they live and operate, especially as it relates to how can they execute their mission requirements from that base or installation. And as I said a, a few minutes ago, the Department of Defense can't do it along, alone. So it requires public-private partnerships as a key way to leverage capabilities to address near and long-term challenges. And I believe it was in 2018, the Department, Department released a report that showed that over a thousand military installations would be impacted by the effects of climate change. Probably, I think the na naval bases were at the top of the list, but not just strictly Navy. And so this is part of a, a base installation commander's responsibility that he or she can look at say, how are climate change and how are those sorts of impacts going to affect our operations today and in the future. And so resiliency is critical. To, to piggyback on that, that's somewhat related to the military, but also I would say much broader and gets to you know, more my, my broader background in civil environmental engineering is the majority of our population in the US and in the world lives in urban environments. And depending on what study and, and population projections you look at, you know, we're, we're moving more and more towards mega cities. And most of those large urban environments are on the coast lens or very close to them. And that's where we see the biggest effects often from climate change or environmental changes in general. And so what, what, what relevance is that? Well, looking at the resiliencies of not only military bases and installations, but the resiliencies of cities and these mega cities where the, where the military and the installations and the bases are closely aligned. And that includes all kinds of things that we could have another whole podcast just talking about the resiliencies of the urban environment. The other thing is when we look at the armed forces, the likelihood that we will continue to have to fight and execute mission sets in urban environments is extremely high. In fact, it's, it's very likely. And so understanding resiliency as it relates to our insulation, our bases, and our ability to execute our missions in urban environments, it all links together. So hopefully that's some explanation. Absolutely. And you've given us an idea for a future podcast. I think that could be um, urban, urban resilience is really interesting. We were, um, I remember thinking back on our coastal resilience briefing series that ran between 2019 and 2020. Um, we had one focused on the Northeast and we had speakers from New York City, for instance, talking about how the challenges of coastal resilience um, are being met in the country's largest city. And um, I, I admit, I don't always think of New York as being a coastal city, but of course it is. Um, um, well, you know, Dan, just look at what's in the news lately with the terrible impacts of hurricanes and, and storms on New Orleans, Louisiana, up the coast to include New York. And all of that gets to the resiliencies of these cities and urban environments to prepare for and respond to. And you say, well, what does that have to do with the armed forces? Well, under the category of Defense Support to Civilian Authorities, DISCA, you know, there is a direct line between how the U.S. military, working with FEMA and other agencies, federal, state, and local, can help better prepare for and respond to these natural disasters. And so so that's that that is very, very much um, something that's in the news today and unfortunately will continue to be in the news. But then you go apart from natural disasters, look into complex emergencies, which are 
disasters, so to speak, that are created and caused by man, uh, those are all unfortunately also terrorism, et cetera. So the ability to prepare for and respond to disasters regardless of the cause in, uh, in our US cities uh, is something that we need to focus on. And the military has a direct role in that. Uh, again, working through DISCA and working with our federal agencies and state and local government. Thanks. Um, Jeff, most of our conversation today so far has been focused on your career in the US Army. But of course, you've been a leader in the business sector as well. And a lot of big companies have really aggressive renewable energy, energy efficiency, and emissions reductions goals. Um, why is it, in your opinion, that corporate America is taking a leadership role in taking climate change seriously and trying to do something about it? Well, I certainly don't have the authority to speak on behalf of corporate America, but what I can do is just say, based on my experiences and my most recent experience as a fairly senior leader at IBM, you know, can maybe help provide some insight on that. I think it's for a couple of reasons. I would like to believe, uh, some might challenge me on this, uh, that the first reason is because these businesses and the leaders in these businesses, they actually care about the planet and the impact the human activity can have both positively and negatively on the environment in which we live and operate. Uh, secondly though, and some would argue more importantly, it's because they affect the bottom line. You say, well, how does climate change, how do these things affect the bottom line? Uh, in significant ways, the most, one of the ones that jumps out of my mind initially is supply chain management. When we look at the ability to provide logistics or supply chain management, the impacts of climate change and how supply chain operates, both locally, nationally, and internationally, is directly impacted by the effects of storms, the effects of climate change in a broader sense. And so we have to pay attention to that in the business world, and I would argue also the government world, because it does affect the ability to us to operate and affect, operate and you know, execute whatever our requirements are in an efficient manner. Along with you know, the, the, the bottom line, there's also the issue besides supply chain management of looking at how do we understand better the effects of really managing uh, the carbon footprint? How does that relate to the industry that we are in, in the business world? What can we do to impact it? But also, what could we do in terms of developing innovative technologies to help mitigate that impact? And often what businesses find is that's good business and that's also an opportunity for additional profit. Fabulous, thank you so much for that. Um, Jeff, um, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been, it's always a delight to talk to you. It's a special delight to have you on the podcast. And I just want to um, thank you very much for taking your time to share with us, um, to share your expertise and your perspective with us. Um, it means a lot. Um, and it means a lot to have you part of the EESI organization on our board of directors. Thank you so much. Well, thanks, Dan. And thanks, Sydney. And hopefully there was something in the podcast that will be of interest to some folks. And hopefully we'll get some good conversation, dialogue out of it. And I look forward to you know, that dialogue and also maybe another opportunity for a podcast on a different topic. So I hope both of you have a great day and 
for the listeners out there, thanks for listening. <laughs> of course, and I have no doubt that there are going to be people who take something away from this conversation. I know I did. If you want to learn more about EESI's work, head to our website at eesi.org. Also, follow us on social media at EESI online for all of our recent updates. The Climate Conversation is published as a supplement to our bi-weekly newsletter, Climate Change Solutions. Go to eesi.org slash sign up to subscribe. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.